Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good evening. We're going to be in Psalms tonight, just to kind of mix things up a little bit for Wednesday nights. <laughs> I've, uh, I've got, uh, what I'm, what I'm, uh, you can turn to Psalm 124, which is what we're looking at tonight. It's a short Psalm. And, uh, but you know what I want to do before, before we get into Psalm 124, I want to read Psalm 123. Sorry, I didn't give that to you. But let me read this to you. It's an even shorter Psalm, four verses. It says, unto you, I lift up my eyes. O you who dwell in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. That just kind of leapt out to me just in the last few minutes, kind of looking at this, because this is the world we really are living in. We are surrounded on all sides by the contempt and the scorn of the proud. People who are living, and this is, you know, there there are some famous psalms uh, where the psalmist is lamenting He's looking around. He's like, you know, uh, you've promised us all good things. And uh, there's supposed to be good and reward in following you. And yet we have experienced some suffering. And not only that, we look around at those who are godless and we see them living these lives of ease. And it doesn't make sense. And this is kind of an expression of the same thing. And it really... It really resonates with me in the age we're living in, the day we're living in, the place we're living in especially, uh, where religion and religious belief, belief in God himself, is being scorned more and more. And uh, you read Romans 1, where we live in an age where unrighteousness, wickedness is being celebrated. And the people who are uh, championing this this viewpoint seem to be doing really well. And, uh, man, it frustrates us, doesn't it? It frustrates me. You know, it's, uh, it's, you try to be noble, you try to rise above it all, but deep down inside I'm just saying, smite them, Lord, smite them. <laughs> you know, uh, we want to see quick and... Uh, we want to see judgment. We want to see things, and we want and we want to see it happen in a way that this is clearly from God. And we have to be convinced. We have to know because the Word says it clearly. God is going to set everything aright one day. He will be vindicated, and in the process, you and I will be vindicated for our unpopular stance and our views. Now, keep that in mind as we read into this next psalm, which is what I really wanted to share with you. In Psalm 124, and this is a psalm of David, 
starts off in verse 1. I'm going to read the whole psalm, and then we'll go back, as we have been doing. I'll read the whole psalm. We'll come back and comment on some things. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, going back here, let me read verses 1 to 5 again. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. This is David, the greatest warrior king in Israel's history. This is a man who knew how to fight, who knew how to lead men into battle. This was a man who, did not, who was not characterized by fear, by uncertainty. He was a warrior, and he was a victor. This was the, this was the man who, as a young man, was celebrated for slaying, what? Tens of thousands. He was so celebrated as a skilled man of war that the king became jealous of him. Saul, do you remember? Because in the same song where they were celebrating David slaying tens of thousands, they were only saying Saul had slain thousands. Uh, he was not, and, and, and he had learned this confidence, remember, as a shepherd, when out there all by himself, he had to take on bears and lions. That would tend to... Uh, Boost your confidence a little bit, wouldn't it? And what he's saying, this great warrior king, and remember our history, remember our time in the Old Testament. It was under David's leadership that Israel, if only briefly, finally inhabited all of the land, or at least nearly all of the land, that God had promised them. They began to inhabit it. They began to spread out. They began to occupy this land under Joshua. And then uh, they fall into sin. They get lazy. And uh, and they began to shrink. Or they, they were simply stopped by the enemies. And it was under David and his passion and his dedication for the word of the Lord that they pushed out to the boundaries that God himself had set. This was a guy who had every reason to be confident as a warrior, as a leader, as a general, as a king. And what he is saying to the people is, do not trust in your strength, in your skill, in the size of our army, in everything that we have done. This, we are where we are today. We have accomplished what we've accomplished. We have inhabited and occupied what we have inhabited and occupied only because... God is for us. This is a great testimony of humility. If it weren't for God, we'd be nowhere. Let all of Israel say, 
if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. These enemies that we just marched over, who we took this land from, our land that God gave us, and we took them from, these weren't innocent bystanders. These were evil people who were causing their children to pass through the fire. These were people who for hundreds of years had been given the opportunity to repent and turn from their evil ways. Remember that as well, that God was not just giving Israel something, he was judging these nations with Israel. After giving them plenty of time to turn from their wicked ways. So he's saying, uh, all the things, uh, the, the land we occupied and the gift we received in this land was not due to our righteousness. It wasn't due to our skill. It wasn't due to our might. It was God's kindness, God's mercy, God's grace. It was God being on our side. And if it had not been for him, these people that we took on and whipped would have eaten us alive. They would have swallowed us alive. When, the, when, the, when their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. Now, uh, there are some scholars who say that when it's talking about the waters here, that he might be referring to... Um, uh, the flight from Egypt. He might be making a reference to all of Israel's history here. All right, Or he might be referring to a recent battle or something specific. Uh, I'd like to just look at it in general terms. All of the enemies they faced under his leadership and going back to the flight from Egypt. All of the things that could have gone wrong at any time. Except for the fact that God was on their side. No matter how good you are, how skilled you are, how strong you are, how numerous you are, how well equipped you are, it is fruitless, it is pointless, it is hopeless, ultimately, unless God is for you. There's none of this stuff. If anybody had a right to walk around with the we bad, we bad attitude, it was David. And there was none of this with him. And he's cautioning his whole nation against this attitude. Let all of Israel say this. Uh, perhaps, I don't know, but maybe the best uh, New Testament version of this is in Ephesians chapter 2. And I'll start with verse 1. And Paul writes... And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conduct, conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now there's a whole sermon, there's a series of sermons in those 10 verses. The first thing I want you to see, though, is that uh, when it talks about uh, we've been saved by grace through faith, uh, I believe strongly, and it is not a universal agreement, but I think most people do agree, that when he says, uh, that not of yourselves, the that is talking about the faith. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What he's basically saying is, it is, you are, we know this. I mean, as Christians, we all, I hope, we all recognize we're not saved by works. We can't be good enough. We can't earn our salvation. Our salvation is a gift from God. And the mechanism, uh, although that's kind of a cold word, the way that God has offered us this grace is the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the legal mechanism by which he offers us his grace. Okay? And it's that grace that faith doesn't save us. Grace saves us. God's goodness, his mercy, uh, his unmerited favor saves us. The way we access it, and again, this is supported by this verse, is what? Through faith. It is our faith that causes us to receive the grace. But what Paul is saying here is even the faith is a gift from God. It's not of yourself. And Romans backs this up. He's he's given unto each man a measure of faith, or the measure of faith, depending on which translation you read. But faith comes from God. Now, our faith can be increased. Our faith can be added to. But faith itself comes from God. He gives us the very faith we need to avail ourselves of the grace that he offers through the cross of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about how blessed we are and, uh, and, and our victories, and we should, we should absolutely testify to the things that God has done in our lives, to the victories that we have won, but it is so easy to slip into, look what I did with my faith. And it's tricky because there... there there certainly is a responsibility on us to believe. And I love reading inspirational accounts of men who believed things that it's hard for me to imagine anybody could believe for. But at the end of the day, I think we have to look back at this, this passage in Psalms and always come back to this. If God had not been for us, we'd be dead. Why have I been able to do anything? Why have you been able to do anything? Because God is good, because he loves us, and because he is for us. Every faith battle, every obstacle overcome, every healing, every deliverance, every protection, every provision, to God be the glory, not to my faith be the glory. All right, but here's the good part. Back to Psalm 124. Verse 6, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. 
Now, again, David might be talking about a particular battle, maybe something that happened recently. He might be talking about Israel's history, the flight from Egypt, etc. Uh, and again, some scholars look at the references to the water as specifically the Red Sea. I don't necessarily see that there. I see a sea of enemies. I see the waves as being waves of uh, enemy troops. It doesn't matter. Either way, it still works. But here's the thing. I still think the application to us is very clear. When he talks about being entrapped, ensnared, and imprisoned, what is it that he's referring to? What is, what is the type and shadow here? It's sin. It's, it, we're ensnared, we're trapped by temptation, by sin, by evil, uh, and it really is a prison, and he has set us free. He has freed us from that. Uh, and here's something, and this thing, oh my God, I'm gonna, I, I might wind, wind up rambling here a little bit because I've got to be honest, this is, thing, these are, this is something I've thought about for, for a long time. I'm still working it out. Uh, but I, 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 this is something that, if I can use the phrase, mature sinners appreciate more than those who were raised in the faith. Do you know what I mean by that? Somebody who comes to Christ out of a rich history of sin and who really comes to Christ can more easily appreciate the rescue factor in salvation. Thank you, God, for pulling me out of that. And one of the challenges we have uh, as people who were raised in the faith, and, uh, and I count myself among those, uh, although uh, at age 12, it's still a little bit different coming to Christ at age 12 than it is coming to Christ at age 6. All right, but I will say I did not have the opportunity or inclination to get into any what 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 what, what I guess the world perhaps would call rank sin. You know, at twelve years old in St. Joseph, Illinois, uh, at, at that at, at, at that time anyway, my my options were limited. <laughs> okay, uh, and I guess the question is this: How do you get good people to appreciate their salvation? Or how do you get children who were raised in good home, homes to appreciate their salvation? And I know some that do. Don't get me wrong. Because the, the theology is clear. We're all sinners. Right? We were born sinners. By nature, we are. And this is what, what Paul says in Ephesians here. You know, by nature... We were children of wrath. It's by the grace of God we've been saved by that. And it's the very doctrine of original sin. And we know that. And it's, it's easy to prove from Scripture. But how do you experience this visceral, relational appreciation for the idea of being rescued when you've never experienced um, tangibly, perhaps, the effects of sin. You know, I worked with in my in my first uh, ministry position at Canaan Land. You know, I got to see up close how sin had wrecked lives, wrecked them physically, financially, uh, financially, relationally, in every way. And so I got to see the tears. I got to see the gratitude when God pulled these men out of that kind 
of garbage. What about those who are raised in the faith? Now, here's the thing. What would you rather have? A child who was raised in the faith or a child who had to be pulled out of that garbage? I don't want to see my children go through that garbage. So there's a way, and I think it's this. I, 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 I'm still working on this, but, but part of it is this. Going back to the early verses of this psalm, there has to be an element of this. There, but for the grace of God, go I. I am not who I am. I am not prevented from doing these things by my own goodness, by my own wisdom, but because God loves me. And it is the grace of God through good parenting, through good teaching, through his just goodness. And we have to cultivate an appreciation for that. Here's what I love from, from this is a quote from Spurgeon here about, uh, 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 he was writing about these last couple of verses here. Uh, Spurgeon said this, I would say again to you netted ones that you are really caught in the trap and held fast. Oh, that the Lord would come at once and set you free. I think he will. Yea, I am sure that he will if you cry out to him to do so. I have heard of a sailor who had been in prison that after his release he had some money in his pocket and going over London Bridge he saw a man selling birds, thrushes, larks, and so on. What do you want for that lot, said Jack. I forget how much it was, but Jack found the money, and as soon as the birds were his, he opened the door and let them all fly away. The man called out, Whatever did you buy those birds for? And then let them all fly away. Oh, said the sailor, if you had been in prison, as I have, you would be sure to set everything free you could get a hold of. You and I ought to display the same kind of feeling towards all bondaged souls. I am sure that the Lord Jesus Christ is more tender-hearted than we are, and therefore he will certainly come and set free all prisoners who beg him to open their cage doors. He is the great emancipator. Show him your bonds and beg for liberty, and he will grant it to you. That line about if you had been in prison... You would set free everything you could get a hold of. And it reminds me of uh, some of the people in, in American history who were involved in the early work of abolition. There were Quakers, uh, many of them, who would attend slave auctions and purchase slaves specifically so they could set them free. Now, there were, don't get me wrong, they were still working on the legislative side, they were working on the policy side, uh, working to outlaw slavery. But meanwhile, they spent of themselves, of their resources, to actually purchase human beings in a legal auction and then set them free. Talk about putting your money where your mouth is. And I think what I love about that illustration, it really happened, you can check it out, there are names, there are dates, there are, there are specific uh, records of this. Uh, you and I have escaped, we have been freed, only, 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 because we've been purchased. 
We were bought. We like the picture of God coming in militarily, slashing down the enemy, opening the cage, opening our prison, and letting us go. But the fact is, we were freed because God paid a price. And we, it's, easier to, it's so much easier and pleasant to picture God doesn't have to answer to anybody. He's God, and he comes in as a mighty warrior and sets us free. And there's a, only a sense in which that's true. He paid a ransom. What was that price? <laughs> it was the blood of his son. We were bought. And we're free because of that. Here's the next question. What do we do with that freedom? Dumb birds might just fly off. But if I were a bird, smart bird, I just might come to the conclusion that somebody who loved me enough to buy me and set me free just might love me enough to feed me and keep me. I might just hang around the guy who purchased my freedom because... If I just go out on my own, what's going to keep me from getting caught again? The snare of the fowler is Satan, it is sin, it is temptation, it is deception. It takes there, it is a minefield out there. It is so easy to get caught back up in sin. And we don't want that. We need to look at our sin as a cage, as a trap, and rejoice daily that we are free from it. And again, kind of goes back to this, you know, if, if uh, w- people who did not have the, I'll, I'll tell you this story, and, this, and it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit personal, and I'm not going to get detailed about it because I'm not stupid, all right? But, but I can remember when, when, uh, when I met my wife. And I knew very, very early on. I mean, I've told you, I've, I've told most of you this story. I don't know if I've ever told the whole thing from the pulpit, but I swear this is true. When the, the first time I saw her, I said to myself, I will marry that woman or die single. I didn't know who she was. Uh, I just, but there was something. I mean, she's beautiful, obviously. But shortly after we became acquainted, I just knew, I mean, I just knew this was the wife God had given me, had brought to me. And it was at that moment that I regretted deeply everything I had shared with any other female in my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? I regretted every kiss every holding of hands, every, every form of intimacy that I had shared with anybody else. Deeply, I wept. I remember, I have a clear, clear picture. It was, it was hurtful, it was painful. Kneeling in my apartment in Columbus, Indiana, crying out. And I had, I had prayed, I had, you know, tried to, tried to, I thought I was keeping my accounts pretty close with God, but I just, God, I am sorry. 
At that moment, I was truly sorry. And I think there are moments like that we can look at and say, wow, God, I am. I just, when we realize how good God has been to us, then we can look back at the sin that we say, yeah, I know it was sin. I, I repent. I'm sorry, Lord, whatever. And we realize just how deeply hurtful it was. Keeping in mind, of course, that all sin primarily is vertical. All sin is primarily sin against God. Yeah, we can sin against each other. And that's important because we're made in the image of God. But all of our sin is against God. And when I realized how good God had been to me, and aside from my salvation, this right relationship with God, which is absolutely the best thing that has ever happened to me, but the second best is my wife. When I realize how good he is being to me, has been to me in that regard. I felt so unworthy. And I think feeling that way and recognizing that is an, is an important thing. Because I did not earn it. I did not win my wife, well, not only by my charms and my good looks and everything. Now, she's a gift from God. But how much more is salvation itself? Rescue. Eternal life, purely a gift from God. It is absolutely nothing we can earn or come close to earning. If God has not been for us, we'd be swallowed up alive by our enemies. The nice thing is, praise and worship team, you can be coming up here as, come, coming up here as I talk about this. The nice thing is, the God who saved us, even though it's all him, we have to keep in mind that his salvation is an abundant salvation. He doesn't just barely save us. This is so important because, again, David writing this psalm is experiencing this. They didn't just barely escape the teeth of their enemy any more than Israel barely escaped, barely crossed the Red Sea. They crossed on dry land, and the waters closed in completely on the pursuing enemy. When God does something, he does it abundantly, and his salvation is abundant. Stand up with me. His salvation is abundant. When he rescues us from sin, his intention is to deliver us completely from its power. And if you are struggling with something, that is your anchor. You have to be convinced that God didn't just say, well, I gave my son to die on the cross to rescue you from hell, and the rest is up to you. His salvation is abundant. He wants you completely free. And that freedom goes beyond just freedom from the snare of the fowler as it refers to sin. He wants you free of debt. He wants you free of sickness. He wants you free of fear. He wants you free of depression. He wants you free of sleeplessness. He wants you free of everything, everything that is causing you to live anything but an abundant life. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.